Welcome to the Lush Hearts Blossoming Podcast. I know what it is to suffer. I know what it is to want more in your life. Let this podcast be a tool and a resource for you to create the life of your dreams. I'm your host, Ashen Wolf. I'm an extrasensory coach, completion process and parts work facilitator, and shaman. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to my series thriving not surviving this series was inspired by greg braden on gaia from the series missing links hello beautiful human family today we are going to talk about how collaboration and cooperation is the wave of an abundant future for humanity we're going to also discuss how come competition is in direct conflict to the survival of humanity and to the abundance of humanity. Now, when we look around the world today and we look at our environment and we look at major changes that are being hinted to happen between countries and economics and potential wars that are spiraling and things changing on a global scale, it's no secret that things aren't going good, that major change needs to happen currently faster than rapid change is already occurring within humanity in order to ensure that the generations living on this planet today can survive throughout their lifetime and also that their children can succeed them and survive as well. Humanity is not guaranteed to go on forever, and in fact, when we look at all the civilizations that have, in fact, fallen, and the core to most of those civilizations is that they were not thriving. So let's look first at competition and why it is the single biggest demise of humanity. And let's look at collaboration afterwards and cooperation as the single biggest key to humanities and abundance and success. So first of all, when we say competition, we are not talking about a friendly soccer game and we are not talking about the kind of competition that is healthy and allows for each being or entity to come into their utmost excellence and quality. For example, a super healthy competition in my local community recently was the accolades for the best community service. And my local vegan restaurant won this because of their gluten-free vegan meals that are extremely healthy, that are good quality and gourmet, that you can make at home, and that it is a super affordable service that allows you to have a little bit of help if you don't have the time to cook your family these healthy meals. Not only is it healthy, it's also delicious. 
And I have seen them be in incredible service and bring an incredible value to my life. And the fact that there was a competition allows them to get excited about how well they're doing and how much community service they're bringing to the world, the quality of service and the value that they bring to their community. They get to get excited about it and the fact that there is competition between them and other restaurants and businesses pushes them to do better and better and to actually be the industry that is going to be the affordable one, that is going to be the healthy one, and that is going to continue to strive to make different recipes and better recipes and make things even easier for you in your life. It is that healthy competition that can push them in the right direction. Now, let's talk about unhealthy competition, which for the remainder of this video, when we say the word competition, this is what we're talking about. So unhealthy competition is this. Unhealthy competition is when there is one entity against another entity in some way that is in direct conflict with one or both entities best interest as well as they are in direct conflict with that entity's well-being. Now this is what that looks like. War. War is a prime example of violence within competition. We go from one country against another country to try to take something by force, to try to force something upon the other country. And we do so through killing, and we do so so that there is no winner. Even if you end up getting what you want at the end of the day, there is no winner when you are losing human lives on your side, you are losing resources on your side, you are having consequences for that war that you're interacting with. Whether you win or lose, there are no winners. There are only losers. Unhealthy competition is an act of going against the needs, the desires, the resources of another being, and there's no point to it. Now, a notion started by Charles Darwin and became very, very a part of our society in the industrial area is the idea of survival of the fittest. It is the idea that if we compete at any cost against one another, the one that wins is somehow the one that is gonna thrive and that is gonna survive. This is a lie that Charles Darwin poorly observed within nature. He observed survival of the fittest occurring between very specific animal relationships that did not represent nature's true core idea of what survival and thriving and abundance really and truly looks like. That fish that won is only capable of obtaining the resources that it can obtain with its own advantages, diversity, and uniqueness. Each being has very different qualities to it, very different things it's good at, very different things it's capable at, and very different things that it's bad at and incapable of. And therefore it can only access the resources possible for that specific individual on its own. Now, 
If we wanna look at the power in numbers working together, just look at a war that has one person on their team versus a war that has a hundred men on their team. There are powers. There is power in numbers. The more beings working towards the same goal increases the access of resources. If we can look at the world around us as an abundant world, a world full of resource, there is no reason to compete with one another. If we actually worked together, we could feed everybody that needed to be fed, we could solve our environmental problems, we could use energy that didn't harm the environment and that was renewable. We could cultivate the earth so that what we took was always in respect to the environment and not in competition to the environment so that we weren't taking resources in a way that actually in the long run harms our ability to get future resources and on top of our ability to get future resources, the ability of that resource's potential to thrive and create more abundance. When we cultivate our resources and when we are in relationship with the birthing and the womb space of those resources, earth for example, we can actually cultivate those resources to flourish and thrive and create sustainability within them. Whereas just picking a flower and then that flower is gone does nothing for us except for short-term pleasure. And it is so temporary. We scientifically know that the key to biodiversity, which is the thriving and survival of multiple various species, is based on a scientific system called symbiosis, which essentially means one entity, one plant, working with another plant, working with another human species, animal species, different species and beings coming together to work together in symbiosis creates biodiversity, which essentially means that that specific environment is thriving. We already know this from scientific studies of the natural environment, from the study of ponds, to the study of oceans, we know this is the case. We know that when symbiosis is occurring, the biodiversity is thriving, and when symbiosis is not occurring, but parasitic relationships are present, we see the thriving of one species only, which eventually kills the environment, which kills the divide. edit that last out that when a parasitic relationship is present, it eventually kills the biodiversity around it by sucking on its resources. And even though for a short-lived time, that parasite will be the only entity present, we see time and time again that when it has actually stolen the very environment through which it thrives on, of its vital force and nutrients, of its capacity to thrive, the parasite in and of itself will die. It will end. And humans are acting as a parasite on this planet. 
We have been in competition with each other. We have been in competition with the planet. We have been in competition with every other species, not caring about anyone's best interest, but number one. I'm going to give you prime examples from the natural world of symbiosis. And symbiosis is ultimately the perfect word for collaboration and cooperation. Now, symbiosis is of mutual benefit to the beings participating with each other, participating in life together. An incredible example that I'd like to bring up is coral, which is actually a marine animal, and algae. Now, algae allows the coral to get vital sugars and food for its survival. Whereas the coral provides a home for the algae, shelter for the algae, and vital nutrients to actually create that photosynthesis that is creating the synthesized sugars that the coral needs. And when the algae is stripped from the coral, the coral will turn white because the color is actually the algae, it's not the coral, and the coral is likely to die because it is not getting the food that it needs from its environment without the help of the algae. Now, an example of symbiosis that is not 100% of mutual benefit, but could be with choice, is that of peckerbirds on large mammals. You may have seen images of rhinos and zebras that have these birds housed on their back. Now, what's happening there is the birds are feeding off of different parasites and bugs that are attracted to the large mammals and they're getting a meal out of it. Now, what the mammals are getting is that they need that parasitic, the mammals are getting out of it is they need those bugs and those parasites to be diminished so that they can themselves thrive. If there's too many bugs or parasites on the large mammals, then they're not doing good for many reasons. Now, another thing that the birds do for the large mammals is that they alert those large mammals of danger. We have observed pecker birds alerting rhinos to the presence of humans that were intending harm to them. The reason it is not 100% mutualism or symbiosis is because the pecker birds go into the wounds of the large mammals to take more parasites and bugs, and this is not in the benefit of the large mammals, though they tolerate it. Cooperation and collaboration is this. We're coming together to identify the best interest of everyone is important and that the needs of everyone are important, and we actively come together to use the unique qualities we possess to help each other and are helped at the same time in order to expand our resources, capitalize on our resources, and everybody gets to enjoy more. Because when we come together, we support one another, and our only focus is on a cooperation to how the overall well-being of everybody together can thrive. Now, we need to start cooperating in how we go about interacting with the world, such as the way that we treat animals and the way that we treat 
industrialized farming, how it's destroying the environment, and how it's destroying the health of the human body. We need to start collaborating and cooperating with each other in our relationships to stop being every man out for himself, but to end the zero-sum game and instead focus on communicating and understanding each individual person in the relationship, that their needs are valid, their preferences are valid, and to actually consider them in how we come together in a relationship so that we hear them, that we communicate, that we're honest with them, and they have a need or a want or a best interest that does not align with our own, that is incompatible to our own, then we work it out so that we go meet it elsewhere or so that we change how we come together so that it works with both people without being harm to either person. And when this isn't possible, that you either change the way the relationship is or you go your separate ways. Again, acknowledging the best interest and well-being of both individuals is not possible and therefore it is not mutual cooperation and collaboration in a way that is going to help both individuals. When we see the abundance of choices and people and tribe that are available to meet our needs, we start choosing the right people for us and we can start seeing individuals in their diversity as okay as they are with their needs, with their contrast, with their differences. We accept them for who they are and we can choose them with our own free will or not choose them with our own free will. Localized farming is super important when it comes to collaboration and cooperation because when we are buying local, there is minimal cost to the environment and you are allowing your local community to benefit financially and serve a purpose. And if we are focused on localized economy and localized food and localized business, what that does is we start capitalizing on what we have locally instead of trying to compete with an international market because every country needs something different, every country has something different to offer, and we don't focus on capitalizing on what each individual piece of land or plot of land has to offer that populace. The very most, when we are focusing on competing with other countries that don't need those same things and don't have those same things. Allowing yourself to collaborate and cooperate with the environment around you and people and other species is in direct solution oriented mode and you all of a sudden immediately have more resources when you come together because each being is now a resource in and of itself to obtain new resources from. When you work together, you allow for abundance to come into your life and to thrive and it is all about the individual's choices and it is all about our decision to make a change, to be the change and with our own free will to be more conscious of when we are collaborating and when we are in competition with anybody else. The most profound example of collaboration and cooperation is of intentional community. 
Now, an intentional community is a group of people that are not necessarily bloodline related, that either live near each other, or live in the same house together, or in some way or form have an intentional relationship on mutual aid. They could have an intention to have a mutual career or a mission work to change the world. Maybe the mission could be environmentalism. Intentional community work on helping each other. For example, in an intentional community, if there's multiple kids, it's not every mom every day that has to watch those kids and care for those kids. One mom can watch them one day a week, another can watch them another day a week, and there's more time, space, and energy for the other moms to do something else. You can share things like bills and cleaning responsibilities that when the responsibility is shared by multiple people, it reduces its each individual's need to give out that resource. Intentional communities can be large like an eco-village and self-sustaining and localized. Intentional communities help resource things like physical connection and emotional connection that is no longer met by only one person or the rare time that you go and see your friends and family. And if you're here watching my content, chances are that you are doing your best to be the change in the world and to be the best in, of change in your own personal life. And for that, I commend you and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. You are so important. Be sure to check out our next video in our series, Thriving, Not Surviving because we are gonna be talking about the key to getting into a place of total collaboration and cooperation within your life, the greater universe and humanity today with everything the earth has to offer for you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you wanna find out more about me, you can go to blushheartsblossoming.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please follow us for more content and also feel free to leave a review and write a comment to let me know how you felt about this.